powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Eduardo Sanchez. His episode was immensely popular. And if you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. And Eduardo, I know you're listening. I want to welcome you back to my show anytime, sir. Welcome to episode 205, and we have a great episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Dr. Candace Candy Campbell. Dr. Campbell is a former nurse, best-selling author, and actress. You can catch her in her off-Broadway production of Florence Nightingale, The Reluctant Celebrity. So let's get Dr. Campbell out here to talk about it. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show calling in today from Chesapeake, Maryland, Dr. Candy Campbell. Dr. Campbell, welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? Oh, they say here in Chesapeake, Maryland, that if you don't like the weather, just blink or wait 10 minutes. Nice. With the pandemic now winding down, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? It was interesting. As an actor and a writer and so forth, I did what everybody else did. I set up a studio like you have and went virtual. When you were in your virtual studio, did you get to go out and mingle with the people very much or did you kind of spend the whole time in lockdown? You know, I live in a rural area, so we have more rabbits than people here. It was not really bad. I I was glad that that as it fate would have it, I moved to the East Coast to be close to my grandkids just before the lockdown. And so uh, it was good. It was good. I, I finished, you know, an, another book. And before the before the lockdown, I had 12 contracts in three countries of speaking and performing. So a lot of them didn't happen. And then some of them went virtual. So I really can't complain. Didn't ever get it. Okay. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? Ah, in Portland, Oregon, when it was a smaller town with the suburbs of only 500,000 in the day. Hmm. What was it like to grow up there? I was kind of like leave it to beaver. It was, you know, there weren't a lot of fences. 
everybody knew each other. In the summer, mother would put you out after breakfast and somebody would give you lunch in the neighborhood. A lot of climbing trees and riding bikes and running through people's neighborhoods and come home when the lights went on for dinner hmm. or you heard your mother scream your name. <laughs> Pretty idyllic now. When you were younger, what were your earliest career aspirations? I didn't have any other than I was uh, in love with horses early on. But when I was young, I never thought, be I just didn't have, you know, I didn't ever think that I would travel or write a book or anything. I wasn't, I just wanted to ride horses. That's as far as I could think. Hmm. What inspired you to get into nursing? Well, that is kind of a story. So my first degree is not in nursing. It is in acting, theater and acting. And as it turned out, I had an opportunity just after I graduated college to, to do some summer stock, star in a show. And uh, I, I recognized uh, during that time that the world as a young actor is fraught with, uh, we used to call it casting couch uh, problems, or <laughs> and now they call it the Me Too movement. And when, uh, when pressed upon by uh, a director, I basically shoved him across the room and said, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> and he just told me that's, I, oh, you're going to New York. That's the way the game is played. I said, not for me, and left and left the show and didn't act again for gosh, a decade. And in the meantime, had to figure out what to do with my life. The only other thing I knew I liked was travel. I'd spent uh, most of my junior year in college abroad, living in Vienna. And so I had an idea and Luckily, that idea came to fruition. I got hired by Pan Am in a day <laughs> and uh, had, as as I used to say, my longest acting gig, five years, you know, costume, makeup, improv script. And uh, it was, to, to get to the answer of your question, it was there up about 30,000 feet that I got the call to be a nurse. Where'd you go to nursing school? The first time I went to El Camino College in LA, Community College. Uh, interestingly enough, later when I became a professor and was teaching at the University of San Francisco and the uh, what we, we call the MEPIN program, it's the master's entry program. Um, that's where nowadays, if you have a bachelor's in any old thing, basically, and you can get your prerequisites done, then you can take a little longer time and graduate with both your bachelor's and your master's in three years. Well, at the time when I was trying to go to nursing school, they didn't have that program. So they said, you cannot get a second bachelor's in nursing. You're a post-grad. Uh, so you have to go back to uh, get an AA. So it was kind of a, a longer journey that way. How long were you a nurse? Well, 
we say, once you're a nurse, you're always a nurse. So I got licensed in 1979, and uh, I've been involved either as in, in clinical. I stopped doing clinical in about 2005 when I was in grad school and and then started teaching after that and hung up the professor part in just before COVID. So and because I could, I had developed a speaking career. So what prompted you to walk away from it? To walk away from nursing? Yeah. Um, the first thing that happened was uh, the, the the reason I ever even went to grad school in nursing is because I had five foot surgeries and realized, oh man, I cannot do this anymore. Physically, it was tough. And uh, by that time, I was already about 50. So I needed to find some work that I like to do. I've always... I've, you know, something, uh, I think, Derek, if uh, you're a curious person, as you usually, you obviously are, I think that curious people are drawn very often to education. And I just love learning. I'm a curious person. So I've always taught in every hospital I was ever at. Uh, was part of the education piece. And that was the automatic thing was to continue and then to weave the acting skills within. It was very successful. Which leads me to my next question. Where did you get your doctorate? And what was the story behind the schooling that led to that? Uh-huh. I was at the University of San Francisco. And while my first teaching assignment uh, as a professor was uh, assistant professor was at um, the uh, UC uh, the UC system and uh, Cal State East Bay. The, I only had a master's and my friend who was, uh, we were teaching together and we were fun friends. We sat in the back of those very often boring faculty meetings, laughing together. And she stood up one day and she said, you know what? I finished my doctorate, everybody. Yay. And I'm leaving. I've been headhunted over by the University of San Francisco and I'm leaving. And I said to her, oh my gosh, Lisa, I can't believe you're leaving. You're my one fun friend here. And she said, I'm not leaving. You're coming with me. So <laughs> She got me an interview and they said, well, you know, at this school, we only hire professors who have a doctorate, but we can fix that. So then had to have a discussion about what we should do. That was a little bit of a different path. Where did you get the acting bug reinvigorated from? Well... There again, if you if you are a student of theater at all, you go back into ancient times when people didn't have newspapers or telephones or televisions or internet or anything like that. They went to the theater to think things through and be impressed by other people who were thought leaders. And that was part of my education as a bachelor, you know, as a younger person with my first bachelor's. And also because 
I had had the experience of being a, a team member uh, in in the uh, I almost said aerospace industry. No, <laughs> aeronautical industry that has a lot to do with safety, obviously. And when I got into healthcare, it became very clear to me uh, several things. One was that very often uh, nurses who mostly at the time were, were women were not necessarily versed in the sort of customer experience education that I had grown up with. You know, my family come from the restaurant business. My dad was a restaurant owner and we all worked with the public quickly, you know, at an early age. And then being a flight attendant, it's all about customer service and safety. And then I came into healthcare and thought, wow, some people don't even know how to answer a phone around here. They just, and, and they're barking at patients as though they are, you know, in a war or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I uh, I saw a lot of room for improvement. And therefore, when the opportunity came, I, uh, you know how it is when you have an idea and, and, and you just can't even go to sleep because something is bugging you, right? And I often think that that is the nexus of an idea. And I was busy. I didn't want to do what I thought I had to do, but I, I had already co-founded an improv company, was doing stand-up comedy in the San Francisco area. And um, we weren't making a lot of money, but what happened was that like a lot of theater groups, they sort of drift apart after a while. Ours was, I guess we were two and a half, three years into it. We were two guys and two girls and uh, one fellow moved and then somebody, you know, one thing happened or another. And the fact was that we had pitched a gig to one of my nursing associations and then the group sort of disintegrated. And uh, I was told by them, well, we'll have to give back the deposit, you know, and all of this. And believe me, by this time, uh, I was a single mom raising three kids alone and I did not want to give back any money. <laughs> And so I said, okay, I will think of something. And within three weeks, I had my first one-person show to answer that. And it was for nurses. So therefore, it was really a trunk show. It was just, it was six comic characters and, you know. Mm -hmm. And then there came number two and number three, and they all sort of evolved. Mm -hmm. You've written a new book, Improv to Improve Your Leadership Team, Tear Down Your Walls and Build Bridges. What inspired you to write this book? Well, it's number two in the series, and it is an outcropping of my doctoral work. So going back in time, you asked about the, the graduate work and, and this doctorate. You know, when you go to get a doctorate, you've got to have a reason and you got to do some research. Otherwise, you know, what's it for? In nursing, you know, that's social science, and some people think that's fluffy, but in nursing, it's evidence-based, and it's taken pretty seriously. It's science. So I had to figure out what I was going to do 
you know, for the next few years. And the dean has this little discussion with you. And this dean said to me, don't worry if you don't know what you want to do. I will plug you in to one of the teams that we have because we got a lot of research going on. And I said, well, what would happen if by chance I wanted to sort of carve my own path? And because I think I have a topic that doesn't really have any nursing research in it yet. And that certainly piqued her interest and she was shocked to hear that of all these things, you know, that there wasn't much research. And she asked about that. And I said, you know, I started an improv group and a few years, well, by the time I was talking to her, it had been already seven years um, into it. We were asked to come teach improv principles to what was then a Silicon Valley startup. And I was the kind of only one with education background who was able to do curriculum development. So I'm the one who said yes. And I started teaching improv principles to Silicon Valley businesses since, you know, for a while now. And I have, I tried before I had these surgeries and before I started grad school, I tried to get some interest in the hospital that I worked at, a pretty good size hospital. And I was already, like I said, teaching part-time with them anyway, but they wouldn't allow me to come and do an improv workshop, which I thought, good gravy. This is all about safety and communication. I am sure it would be helpful. Their, their retort was, no, there's no evidence to back it up in healthcare. Because, if, you know, if you Googled improvisation, you'd get a million hits on all sorts of artistic media, but not in healthcare. And so she helped me find a way to, to do this. And we met with, uh, I did a day-long workshop with several uh, clinical groups over at Stanford's uh, Lucille Pack Packard Children's Hospital, and then did longitudinal mixed method research um, that lasted several months and showed some statistics then that it was a method that, that worked. And so therefore, after all that, I started speaking a lot about it going, you know, they would send me to conferences and all. And then people kept asking me, you have a book? You have a book? Mm -hmm. So that's how the first one came around. This is the second one because people asked me for the leadership book. And now I'm writing the third one. And uh, I think that'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a glimpse into, you know, the sort of, you know, lessons or exercises that are in this book? It is, all of the books um, outline what I have determined are the 12 improv principles. Now that's kind of a flexible thing. There's another book that's uh, often looked to for improv that gives five principles, but 
this is based on my experience and I got to write the book. So I thought there's 12 of them. And the first one is accept all offers. And that has to do with the yes and mindset. You probably heard of that. The uh, era of positivity is really important when you're trying to get along with people. And see, the thing is, as as professionals of any sort, usually, and tell me if this was right with you, we are taught to deduce the problems so that we can put out the fires right away or whatever, right? We're always saying, well, but what if, right? Right. So in healthcare, that was the, the first book is Improv to Improve Healthcare. That was certainly true. Because it's so important if we make a mistake, we could kill somebody. So we want to say yes, but a lot. However, this is another point that I make to people. When you are doing an improv workshop, learning these principles, nobody's dying. Nobody's bleeding. There's no broken bones. It's just like a, a place that you go to exercise your communication skills and you know, ballerinas exercise, athletes exercise. And I think that all teams can benefit from this sort of exercise. And they're fun. They're fun. Um, the second the second principle is to risk being imperfect. And that's probably a very difficult thing for anyone who is on a leadership team or what we do in these workshops is gather people together, both the leaders and the employees. And sometimes I'll do a leadership retreat and then do a train the trainer and then they train the employees. But uh, very often we've got people of all sort of pedigrees and titles that are there learning together. And the people who are not leaders have to feel the agency to speak up. And that means they have to, everybody has to risk being imperfect. That's sometimes very hard. Hmm. How long did it take you to write the book? Well, the second one was, uh, I don't know, the first, the first year and a half of, uh, of the pandemic. This hmm. came out, this came out in May this year, but that was not because it wasn't finished. It was finished over a year ago. It's just that it was a major publisher, these last two books. And you know, that takes longer. Right. What's the reception of the book been like? Oh, it's been very positive. And uh, it's allowed me to expand the horizon of the industry and get back into helping businesses. Okay. Apart from healthcare. Right. Okay, Duval Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Dr. Candace Campbell. Make sure that you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Clouseau style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Pay attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovic, a.k.a. Bildo. 
My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories. I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes. Body ailments. I'm going to go from toes up because I have a lot. <laughs> no, seriously, you laugh, but I have so many this body ailments. This is what ailments. happens with age, guys. And I know. And orgasms. I'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening. I, I'm trying, Henry's trying, we're all trying, but when orgasming is good, it's good. Basically, we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends. New episodes out each Monday. Chat, Chat soon. Hello Duval Nation, Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek DeBall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Derek Show. That's betterhelp.com slash Derek Show. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. And you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my upper This is Marielle Sanji, the author of The Absinthe Frappe from LSU Press. Have you ever wondered about the mysteries of absinthe? The spirit is packed with history, and in my book, I explore the myths and facts behind this elusive liquor. What is it about absinthe that appealed to artists like Vincent van Gogh? How did the absinthe frappe cocktail take the country by storm in the 19th century? Why was absinthe banned? And how were the restrictions on absinthe lifted? Dive into the world of absinthe in the Absinthe Frappe, available wherever you prefer to buy your books. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duval Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? 
maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 205 of the Derek DeVall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with former nurse, best-selling author, and actress, Dr. Candace Campbell. All right, so I want to talk to you about your latest endeavor, your off-Broadway solo show, Florence Nightingale, The Reluctant Celebrity. What inspired you to create the show and were there any personal experiences that motivated you to do so? Oh, my goodness. That's another story. So as a member of the National Speakers Association, one year, uh, the year was holidays, the holiday season 2013. We had a, uh, you know, a member party just celebrating all the holidays. And you know how it is when you go to a networking thing and you haven't seen your friends for a while. Everybody's, hey, what are you into? What's the latest? What What's interesting and all that. And so we were all asking each other those questions. And I was going on about the fact that I had a kind of a milestone. I had taken, well, it took me three years to finish reading all, most all, of the 200 books and articles written by Florence Nightingale and over 10,000 pages of her letters. And um, that was, that was, a, that was a task I didn't mean to set out to do, but you know, sometimes things just fall into your lap. And what happened was that in the year 2010, as it happened during a faculty meeting, our librarian at the university of San Francisco came into our, 
nursing and healthcare uh, professions faculty meeting and said, did you all know that this is the 100th anniversary year of the death of the iconic founder of the profession of nursing? We're like, yeah, yeah, we know that. It's not exactly a celebration. I don't know. And she said, well, listen, I got to tell you that thanks to the British Library and some other really generous donors, they have digitized all her work and you don't have to pay for it. I got it over at the library. I'll give you a code. Come on over. So as it happens, uh, I lived not in San Francisco, but in the suburbs and my three days a week, my classes let out right around 4 p.m. You know what that means, Derek. <laughs> I had at least two hours to kill. Otherwise, you know, otherwise it's bumper to bumper on the freeway. So it took me that long to finish reading. And here we are back at this holiday party. I could not stop talking about this amazing woman who I just hardly knew anything about. And anyway, one of my NSA friends, Barry Wishner, who I talk about in the book that I wrote about this, um, he was sort of a uh, is sort of a mentor to me. He'd been in the speaking business for a long, long time, and he said, "Okay, I, I see you're all kerfluffle up about this Nightingale chick, and how come if you're a nurse and you've had two solo shows, this isn't your third solo show?" And I said, "Oh no." It's a lot of work, you know, after my second show, um, it was, it did very well in San Francisco. It was in the Fringe Fe Festival. Then I got picked up by a theater and, and was extended. And I, I, um, I got into ASCAP because of the music uh, song and music that I wrote for that. And I mean, you know, it was good, but I didn't really make a lot of money. And I said, it's, it's a lot of work. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm done with that. And he said, well, okay, well, uh, just let me just ask you this question. In case there was any chance, what would have to happen to change your mind? And I said, Barry, God himself would have to tell me. And I, he's not talking to me. So, well, guess what? 930 the next morning, I got a phone call. This is God. I'm telling you to do that show. <laughs> and so that's why I dedicated the book Channeling Florence Nightingale to Barry, because that started the process. All right. What's the creative process like, you know, when developing a solo show compared to being part of a larger ensemble? Ah, well, number one, liberty. There is freedom. Now, it's true. I had parameters because um, in the first place, I I didn't want, you know, when you take artistic license, and of course I had to take some artistic license, but I, I, I separated the idea of total artistic license as a theatrical person might do for performance art. And the knowledge that I wanted to honor this woman. And because I really feel a kindred spirit with her, I didn't want to say or do anything that would misrepresent her 
um, or if she's, you know, looking down from above would be upset or embarrassed or anything like that. Um, she was very forthright about the trials and tribulations of her life. And uh, that's why she is actually, I, I, I learned that she is usually on those lists of uh, most most uh, influential women of all time, she's usually top 10 hmm. uh, because for her day and age, what she accomplished was quite amazing. Um, so at any rate, the fact that I, that I had those parameters and the fact that I was versed in improv and uh, I had, uh, here's another little thing that happened. The director that I had, um, who helped me create the second solo show had moved away out of the country. And so this is a sort of thing that uh, I know certain people who are, I guess, much more astute than I am could do virtually to create this thing. But I just need to be in the same room with the director. So as it turned out, there was another uh, person that um, I knew and and had um, done some acting with, and and he agreed to take it on, even though he'd only he'd only ever done I think one other solo show. But we we improved the scenes, and then as it turned out, uh, I started chatting with people again. You know, wide network that I have of people. And somebody said to me, uh, when 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 is it gonna open? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. And uh one day at church, one of the senior pastors said, Wait a minute, you talking about that nightingale woman? She's uh, she was pretty she's pretty influential. And I said, yeah, she she was like the feminist before it was popular. <laughs> and he said, when are you going to do this show? I said, oh, somebody else just asked me that. I don't know. I'm still developing it. And this was in February, I think, of 2014. And he said, well, how about if we hire you for our December meeting? And so in 2014 in December was the first, if you will, mm, rehearsal. Mm, it, it was the first iteration of the show that I did for 150, 200 people. And it, it, they loved it. So, you know, it's evolved. That's amazing. How do you prepare, you know, both mentally and emotionally for a solo performance of this magnitude? You know, actors, we say that memory is like a muscle and it is different. You know, I've, I've, I've done a fair amount of acting before I, I, of course, started solo shows. But I will tell you that sometimes it's very difficult to memorize lines that, I mean, to me, Shakespeare was pretty easy compared to some of the commercials that I've done or industrial films I've done that weren't put together, they were put together for a commercial means, you know? Uh, and, and so the conversation didn't always flow that, and, and you knew that you had to be spot on with every word. Well, not that you don't with Shakespeare, there is always people in an audience for Shakespeare who are 
just tracking if you're saying the right line. But, you know, about that, uh, Shakespeare writes in, um, there's prose, but there's there's um, iambic pentameter, which is essentially poetry, you know. And um, to me, what happened with, uh, well, getting back, this is sort of a long way to say this. Um, when I first decided, okay, now I have a date and, and, um, my director at the time, Bobby Wineapple, when we were improving it, he said, okay, look, we've got all these scenes. I want you to put them together and I've got a class coming in, um, you know, such and such a date in a couple of weeks. Um, let's have you do a table read, if you will, of this. Well, wouldn't you know, it was two hours and 15 minutes, way too long for a solo show. So he said, okay, take it home and we'll meet next week. And you need to cut it down because the people who hired me for this senior gig, they didn't want it more than an hour at tops. So I forgot to ask you, where do you live, Derek? I live in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Do you have a subway in your large? You don't. No. Okay. Well, I would. I was on. I was on the train, uh, coming home from San Francisco, and it was. It was a Friday night, and there was a guy sitting a couple of seats in front of me. There was hardly anybody on the train at that late hour, and he had a boombox in the day, and it was this. I call it rap crap. I. I <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh bad words and such and you know i couldn't get away from it he he didn't shut it off and i was, I was trying to read I, uh and when i got off the the train that night some of the lyrics if you will the 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 talk of what was happening was in my mind and i realized oh for heaven's sakes that is spoken word poetry. Hmm. So fate would have it. I had two more days off and I basically did not get out of my pajamas for two and a half days. And I wrote the show in poetry. And to answer your question directly, the reason I did it is because it's much easier to memorize when you have stanzas. Now, a lot of people who see it, they don't recognize it because it's, I started an iambic pentameter, but I quickly lost that. But there are, there are ways, even if it's not a, a rhyme, an obvious rhyme, you know, anyway, right. that's the secret for my show and how I prepare just like any other actor. You just get into it hmm. i know hip-hop is a very uh it's acquired taste but it is spoken word poetry so yeah well i think they they differentiate between hip-hop and rap don't they i have no idea <laughs> i think hip-hop was the you, the launching pad for rap yeah, as asking, i understand it you're asking the wrong person so. <laughs> How do you balance the demands of being a performer and in this case, a solo show creator? Derek, I think when you do things that you love, 
it doesn't seem like such a stress. The The stress that I might feel is like during the pandemic when um, I was piped in, you know, because I'm on my computer and it, although I'm hardwired, uh, I was piped into some other uh, big institution that who knows what was going on, but suddenly everything went blank. You know, I mean, that panics me. But, or maybe if I'm on an airplane going to a gig and the flights are delayed, I'm like, oh no. Because just like anybody who's going to do a business thing, you want to be rested, you want to be relaxed. And I certainly have ways that I do. I certainly do exercises. And before I go on, um, you know, I have to be in my cave uh, before I go on because you have to focus, but it's what I, I just love doing it. And I feel, like I said, I feel really akin to this, this person. <laughs> Fair enough. What's the reception to the show been like? Actually, the reason we went off Broadway is because early on when I started doing the show for nursing um, associations and hospital organizations, that's the kind of feedback I was getting. People are saying, oh, my gosh, it's so good. You should be on Broadway. I'm like, oh, thank you. That's a, that's a very nice. But, you know, when's that going to happen? So anyway, it's kind of like the the little engine that could, the little show that didn't go away. Yeah, Dick Kubitan said the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. You get a chance to talk to your younger self. What would you say to her? Oh, I'd say don't let the turkeys get you down. <laughs> don't listen to people who say, or yourself when you say, what? I could never do that. I never thought I'd be doing solo shows, even as an actor. It wasn't on my radar. I wanted to be a repertory theater actor. Hmm. You never so what's, know. So what's next for Dr. Campbell? Working on the TED Talk about mitigating risk when failure is deadly, about using the improv principles in uh, risky business, and uh, finishing the third book. And of course, Miss Nightingale is now on the road. We are, you know, booking far and wide for 2024 and 2025. So lots going on. Well, if you bring it to Tulsa, Tulsa PAC is always ready for it. So we love, oh, we well, love, we love one woman shows here. Really? Yes, we do. I am making a note of that. There you go. I've done my, I've done my part for the evening. All right. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. Okay. As we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. Dr. Campbell, what do you like to do for fun? How do you like to relax? Um, isn't it funny? I know a lot of people think that relaxing is going on the beach and, you know, drinking Mai Tais or stuff. I did that for a week this last summer. And honestly, aside from we, we went to Cancun and uh, aside from going to the ruins, the Aztec ruins, which were so, or Mayan ruins are so interesting and go at swimming with the little fishes in a lagoon. The rest of the time sitting on the beach and drinking fun drinks and stuff that does not speak to me. That is not, I, I said, okay, I did that. I'm never doing that again. Uh, I love to travel. 
Um, I, I, you know, I've lived in five countries, Ben. I, I love to go back. I lived in London for two years and, uh, you know, I studied dialects. And so, uh, that was helpful for the show having lived in London. I love to go back to London, still have friends there. And, uh, I just, yeah, I love to travel. I think that's my favorite thing. All right. What would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Ah, well, I do have two websites. One, candycampbell.com is the improv website. Uh, and that is, you know, it shows all the different programs that we do, coaching, consulting, and workshops and all that. And then there is the presenter's website uh, made for people who hire one-person shows. And that is Florence Nightingale Live, L-I-V-E, Dot com. People can see videos and testimonials on both websites. Thank you for asking. Okay. Dr. Campbell, I am my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of earth? There is life after death. Okay. The book is Improv to Improve Your Leadership Team, Tear Down Your Walls, and Build Bridges, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy your books. Dr. Campbell, congratulations on all your success, and thanks for talking to me and taking the time to come on the show today. This has been a thrill. Thank you, Derek. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 205. I want to thank Dr. Campbell for being so giving with her time for coming on the show. I do hope you get the chance to check out her show and read her books, and we will have links to those in the show notes. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. We drop our episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for those episodes to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up today for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. And we have everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, I hope everyone is taking advantage of the fall weather, or at least the fall season. The trees are changing colors. The air is getting crisper for some. I hope everyone takes the time to appreciate it wherever they may be. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.